0: Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, The Ringer is launching a new podcast feed called Boom Bust. It's a new hub for narrative podcasts documenting
1: the rise and fall of companies, celebrities, and trends. Season one, hosted by our own Alyssa Bereznak, takes you through the spectacular journey of HQ Trivia, the once $100 million industry altering company turned disaster. Alyssa
0: interviewed dozens of former employees, investors, journalists, and fans bringing you the -the behind-the-scenes story of how HQ crumbled from within. Subscribe to Boom Bust HQ Trivia and check out the first two episodes out now on Spotify or wherever you get
1: your podcasts. What's going on, Jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. First Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lawrence. The king of sad stuff. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Trey Kirby. It's Mick Mundy. This
0: is your real WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks.
1: Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I have that Nakamura.
0: Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goof Haraja. I'm AJ
1: Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You're listening you're too, listening to you are listening to. the, so the Masked Man the Show. Mask Man the Man Show. The Mask Man, the Mask Man the Show. Man the Mask Man, Man, Man Show. Man the Mask Man, show. The Mask Man. show.
0: Welcome to the Masked Man Show your uh, new and improved weekly wrestling podcast uh, par excellence. I am the Masked Man, David Shoemaker, here with my heel producer, Jim. But not just him, also on the Masked Line is the one and only Mike Lawrence. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good. I I know you're lying in bed as you record this. This is the pure luxury of, uh, of, of quarantine podcasting.
1: You gotta lean uh, into it, yeah. I, I hope I, I hope you, you
0: you'll bear with us a little bit. We're still shaking off the pod rust uh, after taking a few weeks off, but uh, there's so much wrestling going on right now. Yeah. I, I literally I, I've been I've never been so eager to talk about. It. We're going to talk about Double or Nothing, which we were talking about five seconds ago before we started recording. We're going to talk about WWE Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, all the news that's coming out of it, and we're going to talk about the NWO later on because uh, I've been watching more old wrestling than new wrestling almost during the quarantine. So. Um, I've, I'm, I've asked, asked Mike what he wanted to talk about uh, from, the, from any time that's not the present, and he said the NWO. So we're going to do that. Uh, but first of all, let's continue the conversation we were just having. We were talking about the main event of AEW, AEW's Double or Nothing show this weekend. Heel producer Jim texted me right before the show, and he was like, just watch the main event of Double or Nothing. I can't. It's, it was great. And I, for some reason, just brain farted and thought he was talking about the title match, and I was just like, that's a weird reaction to that show. But in fact, the main event was the stadium match between the Elite and the Inner Circle, which was, I thought it was spectacular. I mean, it was it had everything. I don't know. Mike, you go first. Tell me what you thought about the stadium match.
1: I thought it was a masterpiece. I, I absolutely loved it. There are certain things within AEW that I've been skeptical about that the match like fixed for me Like, I, I think, you know, it's like, like my actual job is like TV writer, you know, and and I've worked in narrative and stuff. And like the way that they handled character development, I thought was so brilliant. I thought that every person in the 10 man match had a moment to shine, had a moment where they did something that only they could do. And you got to learn so much about them. Like i never fully understood like the kenny and adam page dynamic Mm -hmm. in their matches but him pouring the whiskey for himself and then the milk for kenny that says everything now i know exactly who those characters are um i thought uh if there was an mvp of the match it was sammy he he's so fantastic uh Waking up and thinking that he won the match is like such a him moment. I mean, Paige on the horse. I the best use of Hager ever is just this big lug yeah. that wouldn't go down. He was the juggernaut. It was awesome. <laughs> Jericho having a blast. Uh I I find Hardy to be way too much, but it was just enough and it worked this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the young bucks doing crazy stuff and uh Santana and Ortiz with The Homie the Clown sack of quarters. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Santana and Ortiz, I mean there was there were numerous moments in this match and I'm a, I'm a fan of them. I, I mean, going back to TNA, but yeah. there are moments in this match where it was like you weren't like you weren't quite sure if you're dealing with like an like like idiot savants and I don't mean that as an insult. Look it up. Or like absolute Straight up Einstein level wrestling geniuses like they like they do little stuff that no one's paying attention to that makes me wonder like if they composed a five hundred page novel outlining what they were going to do in the match before they started like they're they're just so everything is so smart with them, and the more I watch them, especially in a match like this really it, it's really really impressive I love I think you're right I, everybody looked great and I think that. You were we were talking before we came on about about Jim Cornette's reaction to the match, uh, which I'll let you describe if you want. But I think that
1: oh my god, I think
0: that <laughs> I think that what we do, uh, what I think that what's key about this match, particularly in the quarantine era of wrestling, um, is that just like with anything else in life, you figure out what you're going to do, but then you do the best possible version of it, and it applies to wrestling up and down every card ever written, right? Like. When a man wrestles a bear, it's not going to be a good match. But if you figure out the best way to do it, it's going to be fucking awesome, right? Um, And and this was not a match that probably anyone on this you know you me or heel producer Jim well maybe Jim would have like sketched out in a vacuum about like how you want to run a main event on one of your few pay per views at a new wrestling company. But what they did was just perfection. Uh, Some people may disagree, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, my my thought is it's like, you know, you look at like, you know, as, as like a stand up, I, I always like say like, you don't sometimes it's not about having the best set. It's about having the best set for the room, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you do like a crazy bar show and everyone's drunk and you just go up and do your jokes and pretend like nothing's happening, like that's what WWE is doing right now. And it's weird it's uncomfortable because it doesn't feel like I'm watching wrestling in the world that I'm living in now, but it's like, yeah, sports isn't happening. Stadiums are empty. Like, let's take advantage of that. Let's do something cool. Let's, you know, like, is this, uh, the best, like match they could have under these circumstances. Absolutely. And it was cool. I mean, I, I, I really, uh, I love Boneyard. I love Firefly Funhouse. I thought this was even above both of those.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm so partial to Boneyard, but uh, I mean, mean, a lot of it has to do with probably, I mean, it it could very well have a lot to do with just my mood at the very moment that I was watching it for the first time and, and what I was kind of, what my expectations were. I mean, this was, I mean, the Boneyard match wasn't formally innovative in the sense that we'd never seen any of that stuff in any genre before, in any medium before, but like, for wrestling, it felt really, really fresh and really exciting and interesting. And this was, I mean, in the same in the same genre as the Rock Mankind Empty Arena match, right? I mean, this was like this was like vaguely something we'd seen before. But but aside from that, you're right. I mean, it was just spectacular.
1: Uh, well, I think like what this has over all of them is because of the ten man situation. There's no dead time. It's 40 was, minutes. I was just
0: going to say that. It's so good.
1: And it never feels like it's lagging because like, I remember I, I loved Boneyard and then I, I watched it with my wife and it's like the guy that shows the frog, but the frog doesn't sing in Looney Tunes. <laughs> <laughs> like she was like, yeah, it's fine. But she's like, they're just, they're just like lying on the ground a lot. Like there's a, you go back. There's a lot of, uh, dead, dead time, dead man time, uh, in that match. Yeah. And there's there's a moment where the Undertaker's wheezing that is just very sad. Yeah, that's true. Um, It's the breath of a dying horse as opposed to the young one that Adam Page rides in on.
0: Yeah, and 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 actually, I mean, you're right. I mean, to that point, what's better? This match, in some ways, was even better than if this had been a a a match in the ring because when there's when they're cutting between different moments and different people you can ignore everybody else that's in the match, right? You can ignore everybody else for the most part whereas in a regular wrestling match we would be elbowing each other joking about how Sammy Guevara hasn't moved from that from his lying down on the outside of the ring for 15 minutes, right? I mean you'd be like like people have to take these sort of unrealistic disappearances in a wrestling match when you can just sort of cut around that in a in a stadium stampede. Um you know as much as this was a piece of this um quarantine era that we're in right now I would assume, and I would actually hope that this is not the last one we'll ever see in aew I mean certainly they have access to the arena whenever they want right i mean and 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 I would be very happy to see it happen again. what about you?
1: My thing is is that like the the last thing that we want is a, another gimmick match happening for the sake of a gimmick match mm-hmm. you know like I don't want every May to be stadium stampede it's like let the story dictate it let it happen naturally let let us need it let us demand it i don't <laughs> want to just be giving it because that's where i think you fall apart i mean when there's a hell in the cell just because it's october you know like i i do not want that for this i think this was really special i think like you know if aw continues they could possibly do it with a packed stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, th- honestly, th- this is one of those matches that made you feel like, it sounds so silly, but anything is possible. Like, I, like th- this could be, like, people would show up to a stadium to watch this happen 90% on the Jumbotron, right? I mean, this it was, it was that good of a performance. Um,
1: yeah, because I mean, this is, like, my real thought is that when I first heard that they were announcing the pay-per-view, and that they were still charging $50. Mm-hmm. I, I really thought it was tone deaf. Yeah. It totally did. It didn't seem like the right thing to do. It doesn't seem, you know, money is a lot more scarce. But I'll be honest, every Wednesday, I watch, I talk about it with my friends. It it gives me purpose. And I was like, you know what? I kind of want to watch a pay-per-view. And I did it. <laughs> yeah. And then when it was over, I'm like, I'm really glad I did that. So. I think that's a real testament to the company. I think
0: so too. Um, I, I, I I don't. I I don't, I don't know what to say except that they've just availed themselves incredibly well through this whole thing, and maybe it's just you know they still have a little bit of that scrappiness, and it and it and it's kind of re, like affirming to see that in action. Um, but man, I mean, this was in so many ways just a conventional pay per view, but it felt like I don't know, it just it felt like it was worth $50, you know, I mean, it felt it, it, it was, it was a, it was a great show. Great show. Um, yeah.
1: what, and I have to give credit to, um, MJF and jungle boy. Oh, yeah. Th- Cause to me, it's like, that's what this company does best. And that's what it needs to continue to do. Like I thought that, uh, I thought Moxley and Brody was fine. Yeah. I'll be honest. I had no interest watching that match like i feel like moxley has just been wrestling reheated wwe guys this whole title reign so far and it's not been that exciting to me and it it just shades of tna to be honest with you (laughs) and so uh but when they have a guy who's like 22 and a guy who's 23 who have so much potential like my favorite match on the last card was uh, Sammy versus Darby. I think mm-hmm. you know every show, every pay per view. If they have a showcase of two guys that are in this company that are blowing you away, that's what they need to keep doing, and that's what they do the best.
0: Well, before we before we get away from the Stampede match altogether, uh, I do want to touch on Jim Cornette's review because that's what we were like jabbering about before this thing started. Do you want to give a, a okay. brief rundown of, of Jim Cornette's opinion about this? And and again. This is not a, a, a meta criticism of Jim Cornette. I just wanted to talk about what about you know then with the with the, the anti angle would be.
1: It's I mean it's amazing because like, um, you know he he gets money, um, you know he, YouTube listeners and Patreon and all that because people want to hear what he has to say about this stuff. Like I watch it and then I want to know what he has to say because. Mm-hmm. He's so entertaining. He's unbelievably, you know, him disliking something <laughs> is sometimes hilarious. The, the the vitriol, the like I think I was saying to you, uh, you know, people ask, like, did he hate this match? I'm like, hate is what the Nazis had for the Jews, <laughs> and this is much deeper than that. Like, there's a moment where he says, I feel like I should apologize to Vince Russo for telling him he made the worst wrestling I've ever seen. <laughs> and he doesn't call him shit stain like he always does. He uses his real name. That's how angry he is about this match. Like, it's the the level of emotion. He feels betrayed by Jericho. Like, as the guy who was with him in Smoky Mountain, he feels betrayed by shivani and ross as guys he's known for over 30 years like (laughs) they're all judases in his mind (laughs) um it's 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 25 minutes it's on youtube his review of this match and it's unbelievable and he and he says he gives the stipulation that he will never watch this again and so uh we'll see because That's the thing. It's like he's not working in any company anymore. He's lost multiple jobs. And now he's just, you know, professional man angry at clouds. (laughs) So there's one less cloud for him to be angry at. (laughs) We'll see. I I love him. I I love uh, his thoughts. But this one, it was just like, you, you can't. My thing is, you can't have this real wrestling feel right now. It just doesn't work. Well, it's weird. All right. A couple of things.
0: One, the good news for Jim Cornette is that Dark Side of the Ring just got renewed for season three. So he's got something to do with this time. I mean, if he's not watching oh, AEW, it, did. that's awesome. And he he's phenomenal on that. Yeah, he's, he's really, the really good. I just think Jim Cornette walking through his weird, like, uh, uh, memorabilia attic is a whole show. I mean, it's, but I mean, the real, the real show. I mean, he should just have like a wrestling crossfire review show with some just like somebody who's just I don't know who who's the who's the counterpart to him that's like totally positive about everything, but just to like him shitting on stuff. You're right, it's a spectacle, and it should be embraced as such. Um, I mean, we'll be we should be. Fair in saying that, like, if he was watching a 25 minute video of the young bucks saving children from a burning orphanage, he would still say it was the biggest pile of dog shit he'd ever seen in his life, and he would be mortally offended. Yeah, by he'd it to-
1: say he'd say the children didn't uh, sell the fire <laughs> enough, <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of the kids would look like Marco's stunt and it would just make him upset. Oh my gosh,
0: um, but yeah, it'll we'll uh, see how long he stays away because that's because this is like. You know, this is, it's such a great gimmick for him and, and whatever. But like what, no matter what he thinks, it would have been more shocking certainly if he had loved the match.
1: Yeah. He can't, he can't go back after all he said. And then this is the doubling down or nothing of this company. Like there's nothing he can do to (laughs) like it.
0: (laughs) Uh, This is sort of a meta question, uh, shuffling onward or or backward. (laughs) There were points during this show, I'll be honest, where I feel like the real, one of the real positive things about AEW, which is the variance and the match styles and the tone and everything else, it's where it sort of had me a little bit uneasy. Not in a, not in a terrible way, just like I kind of had to, it, it would take me a while to get into matches because it took me a while to get into this match because I'd just seen, you know, a bloody Brody Lee getting choked out, you know, and it, it took me... It always takes me a while to get in and out to get in and out of uh, of Cody's matches because they're just it's 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 impossible to describe them them except to say old school that doesn't really describe them you know and and um and I just I, I wonder if there's a I I wonder if if that's if it's if it's overall if it balances out as a huge asset and I'm just being nitpicky which is almost certainly true or if there's a you know. Maybe there's a maybe there's a future where the pay per views are a little bit more thematic and the and the matches can have a little bit more of a similar tone. What do you do? You, do you have any issue with that?
1: Well, I think if, if I had one complaint about this show, it's that you know when you don't have an audience, like I mean, you have a home audience, I get, but like I don't think you need to do things the way you normally would. Like I found four Penelope Ford and Chris Statlander, and then the Spears and Dustin thing to be such a lag on the show. They felt like cooled down segments, but I don't think you need to cool down a crowd when there isn't one. <laughs> like I, I I think in in terms of pay-per-view pacing, I really do believe that no one does it better than the takeovers, where there's like five matches, they're all there, they all matter, they all get time. Um I, I think that's the way to do it. Um I don't, I, you know, it's like when Money in the Bank ended two hours and 20 minutes in, I didn't complain. Like, I'd rather have like, you know, a decent show than one that feels too long. Like, I really did love this show. I, I also don't think it needed to be almost four hours.
0: I I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, I, for some, during the, the time, during the, the Moxley Brody Lee match, you mentioned earlier about, how you know, rehashing WWE, you know, or, or having Moxley face people from, you know, his WWE days, uh, you know, doesn't isn't always the best move. I I totally agree with that. And I think that I would have so much rather have this match been uh, an AE, like a TV main event that just went like shockingly, like have it open the show and go 35 minutes or something like that, you know? And then you would have been like, holy shit, look what WWE was leaving on the table all these years. Instead of it feeling like, I mean, the coolest thing about Mox, I mean, Moxley's been great in AEW. The coolest thing he's done since he left WWE still is going to New Japan because every match was was revelatory before it began. Right? I mean, everybody he got in the ring with was somebody he'd never been in the ring with, or I mean, the whole and the whole stage was so new and so interesting. And I think that focusing on that stuff would be a huge benefit for his AEW run. Um, Although I'm sure there's some calculus they have about just sort of. You know, having quote unquote big names in those main event matches or recognizable names. Um, but there, I mean, I would even put that on TV. And I, and I agree about the other matches too. Um, you know, maybe, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else that like really stuck out of me. I mean, certainly not the latter match that opened the show. I probably would remember more fondly if it were one out of four or five matches. Uh, although that match had a lot of, I had a lot of issues. Um, I was excited to see Brian cage finally show up and, and he's going to be, I think a big asset at AEW.
1: Um, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone was talking about who it's going to be, who that mystery entrance going to be. I love that. It wasn't a WWE guy. And I love that. They did give him a strong push. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I just like my my, 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 big thing with, with Brody more than anything is just the dark order is terrible. And I I at least understood what type of shitty gimmick it was, what type of crappy gimmick it was, like beforehand. But then he comes in and he's doing a parody of Vince yeah. and he's like and I and, and I understand why Uno and um Grayson aren't there, like because they can't yeah. be, but like it just there's it doesn't make sense. And then like they're not even in the match at all. There's they're not incorporated into the match, like like the whole time I'm watching him versus Moxley, it's like you might as well have not even had him be a part of this since it didn't play into anything, anyways. Um, but I, yeah, I, no, I, I thought with the ladder... the latter match was great. I thought the Darby spot, and I love—I'm a big, big Darby fan—was silly to the point where it's like we're not—you know—that he's not gonna fall on his skateboard to somebody. You know, like we know he's not going to kill someone, <laughs> and you know, so no one's going to take that spot. And then it's dumb to him for him to like do it on his own.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, listen, going to the Brody Lee thing or the Dark Order question, it obviously it suffered. Uh, I think the Dark Order has, uh, I mean, there's a lot of sort of very like minor structural flaws of the whole thing. I mean, I think that the backing band, all the little the numbers that that hang around, all the all the minions. It's one of those things that's really cool in theory, but in practice, it's tough because it's. I don't know. It's like visually there need to be a hundred of them for it to be cool. I mean, maybe that's a, maybe that's, uh, that's just me.
1: I don't know what they stand for. Like their whole thing of, you know, converting jobbers. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then they're still losing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Maybe the powers and the loss, who knows? Um, and Brody Lee too. yeah. I mean, just visually, I mean, enough people, enough people have talked shit about his, his ring attire. Uh, and you know, it, it looked fine at double or nothing, but, um, for him to show up in a suit as this all new character and then to come out in like, you know, WWE style ring gear was just, it just seemed like a misfire, right? I mean, it seemed like it was just like, it need to be thought through 1% more or it needs somebody in, yeah. somebody in charge. Who's like, and this doesn't just go for Brody Lee. I mean, there's a lot of times on AEW or where, where you, you wish there was like, you know, a couple more people in the management structure and someone to say like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't wear your you know maybe you shouldn't be doing exactly your indie gimmick here on this show or so you know just, just tweak it a little bit let's let's take let's look at this a second time um
1: yeah, it's also he's just not the guy on promos that he thinks he is, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, he's not terrible, but he's just not a compelling leader. it's true, like. There's a reason he was behind Bray all those years. I'm sorry. Well, and he could have
0: been a fine strong but silent type. I mean, that seems that that actually makes a little bit more sense in terms of, you know, him and or it could make sense for him in the dark order, but unfortunately as you mentioned, there's uh, we're missing the other two main members of the dark order, which is um well, you know, we'll we'll forgive him a little bit.
1: Um now I have a I have a question uh, about this pay-per-view if you don't mind me indulging. Go for it. Which is that What do you think, like, because, you know, this Double or Nothing was their official first pay-per-view last year, so it's been a year of this company as AEW. And, you know, they were a little short on on big guys at first, and that's definitely something they've remedied in the past few months. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this show you had Archer get pinned, you had Brody get pinned. You know Wardlow's already been pinned. Um, you know now you have Cage as the only guy who, who's like a, a big monster who hasn't been beaten. Um, do you think that they should be beating these big hosses so convincingly? Like, is it? I guess my question is: I know that this company is anti-DQ. Would it help sometimes to protect some of these guys to keep their auras a little bit?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, people can make fun of dusty finishes, but Cody's dad made his career off of non-finishes. You know, I mean, DQs, whatever you want to, whatever, however you want to book it. And they had a real value that, you know, they were, they were incredibly powerful if 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 employed the right way. Um you know, it's just like the rankings thing, where it's like, yeah, it's a really great idea in theory, but in practice, sometimes it's cooler for like, you know, Brody to challenge Moxley and Moxley to say yes. You know, it's great. I mean, rankings be damned. Uh, I think that that there's, you know, you can say no non finishes or no DQs, but sometimes that's the way to go. You know, I mean, I, I don't, and I don't, I don't think ruling anything out is healthy for, for you know, anybody. I mean, in any organization, wrestling or otherwise. Um, but you're right about the big guys. I mean, I think that, especially with all the WWE layoffs, I mean, they were kind of suddenly in a world where every potential hire, or half the, half the people out there now, the market is flooded with potential big men, right? Whereas before there were none, before they were like scouting dudes who wrestled five times, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, with with, you know, just the general size disparity between all the different organizations, I mean, there's a lot of dudes that WWE just cut who could come in and be big monsters. So I don't I don't think there's a, I mean I think there's more of them. But I think what's more important to kind of take the AEW point of view. I think the more important thing is to say yeah they're big monsters out there, but you can't like but every every feud can't be a big man little man just like underdog feud right. So maybe it's important to say these guys are huge, but they're not unbeatable, and they're 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 human, and you know in the future, like whoever, like like Darby Allen will stand a chance against Brody Lee or whoever he wrestles, you know, because size doesn't always matter. I don't know. Um, I do think it's weird, this is totally separate, I'm just looking through everything. It, it, well, is it weird that like every time they debut somebody now or every time they, they, they bring somebody in, they just like pair them with a veteran, like an old school wrestler as their manager? I mean, do we it's a little do weird. Do we really need does Taz add something to Brian Cage? I guess they I guess if you've never seen Brian Cage before, like if you've never seen Sean Spears before, if you've never seen Lance Archer before, and you're like a wrestling a general wrestling fan, maybe that does help sort of place them for you. Like we can't get Jake the Snake Roberts in the ring, but we can sort of use him to help define somebody else very like very easily. But um I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I Brian Cage of all people does not look like somebody who needs a manager to decide. But but maybe I'm just maybe I'm being again overly uh particular there.
1: I think it's a case by case basis, you know? Like I think that putting Wardlow with MJF was fantastic and I think not that's better for both of them. It's a great package. It really works. I think um Archer and Jake is awesome. I mean, I I am such a big Jake fan. Uh Savage versus uh Roberts 91 is like my favorite feud of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think he's the most diabolical heel ever and I think he's doing a great job. Um I don't like Arn with Cody cuz Cody's a great talker. I don't see the point. It's already like the whole QT Marshall and his and his wife and Dustin. It's too many people for me. Um I don't really see the purpose that Arn serves. Um, I think Tolley and Spears didn't really work for me. I just never understood once again what they were going for. And then I, I I really like I like Taz's analysis when he talks about the moves and all of that. Um I think he could be good with Cage, but it's also I don't know. I think sometimes you need yeah, that dominant monster just to be his own person.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I, I don't I don't mind any one of them. Although there are a couple I mean, they, all these guys, Arn and Taz in particular, are like so big in various directions now that it does seem like they sort of overshadow a little bit the people that they're with sometimes. Same with Jake and I mean, like Lance Archer is this like just he's coming in as this monster, but Jake the Snake Roberts is about his size, which is sort of strange. Anyway, that's an old Vincey nitpick from mine. I'll, I'll let that one go. We should talk about things besides AEW. As good as that was, um, wh- where where to begin? Monday Night Raw just happened. Oh well, Apollo Cruz is your new uh, is your new U.S. champion. How do you feel about that?
1: Uh yeah, it's cool.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's the appropriate answer. Um, listen, the the it would be a real pity if we came out of this year this this period without like anybody in WWE getting that extra little boost from being on the on the you know smaller staff and and uh with all these kind of opportunities to shake things up Apollo Cruz is getting a real look and I think that I think that that's you know that could be really big cuz he's I don't know I mean when he came in when he when WWE signed him I was as excited as I've been about a signing you know at the time and and it was I, I, I it's it's a pity that they haven't found a better way to use him. And part of that's, you know, on him, and part of that's on fans for not latching onto him. Part of that's, you know, definitely for, on WWE. It's on, you know, part of that's because he didn't get enough run in NXT to become, like, a, you know, one of the diehard favorites. Um, and he kind of came in at a weird time for that, for NXT uh, excellence anyway. But um, I'm excited for him. Uh, are you excited for uh, for... Bobby Lashley, uh, number one contender to the to the, to
1: the the title in WWE. I mean, the show must go on, right? <laughs> I think Bob. It, I know it, it's funny. Lashley versus McIntyre feels like it was on an episode of main event.
0: <laughs> yeah, years ago. Oh, I'm sure it was. They were also in a short lived faction with Baron Corbin like six months ago. If I mean they were. It, oh God! It yeah. has not been that long. Um no but but MVP and and Bobby Lashley together is are really really good. MVP is just gold and uh and I think it's a good I think it's it, it could be a really good opportunity for
1: him. Um I did a roast with him once, uh MVP. The the fun the funniest uh wrestler I've ever, I've ever seen uh on a roast. Really? Yeah, he was amazing. He was so good.
0: That's that, that's great to hear. No, he's, he's a, I've met him once or twice. He's a really, really good guy. I mean, and he's really incredibly likable in person, maybe unsurprisingly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's like found this, this role in WWE now. I mean, he's a real, real asset to them. And, uh, I'm glad that somebody's seeing that. I saw somebody, uh, suggesting online that this Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio thing would lead to a mask versus hair match, um, that would presumably end with Seth Rollins shaving his head, um, that's based on absolutely nothing in reality, as far as I know. But what it, on a scale of one to ten, how excited would you be for Seth Rollins potentially losing his hair in a match?
1: I was excited. I was as I would be if he uh, got a new voice. <laughs> you don't like he, but but he's so good as a heel. I just don't like listening to him, even when he's a bad guy. I, I just I find him to be so hard to listen to. Um.
0: He's definitely, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, when when he's his gimmick of late, the Messiah gimmick has been, I think he's been really good. And I think even listening to him talk, I think it's really effective.
1: Um, he's a, no, he's, a, I mean, he's, he is a much better heel than a face for sure. And he's great in the ring. I just, there's, there's something, there's something missing. And I, 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 I wish I knew what it was, but I just, he's a guy like, you know, I stopped watching wrestling legit in 95 because of Jeff Jarrett. I just didn't want to watch him.
0: Oh my god, I'm so offended.
1: Seth Rollins does the same for me. Also, I did a roast with Jeff Jarrett. Got to meet him, um, and got to tell him <laughs> 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 nicest guy, the sweetest guy. He was amazing. Yeah,
0: modern I mean, real life Jeff Jarrett uh and he was on backstage this week. But real life Jeff Jarrett, he is he is disarmingly nice. And I don't know if that's uh some byproduct of everything he's been through in his personal life or just if he's always been that nice. I have no idea. But it is it is unnerving. And I go and I and I say that as a lifelong Jeff Jarrett fan. Like he was the first he might have been my first like like through and through baby face favorite as a kid. I mean he was just young, blonde haired, like like he like I just loved him when he first debuted in, in Memphis and and um but yeah, I, I mean, I always, I always had a soft spot for him, but I did not expect him to be such a, a nice
1: person. And I can't believe you actually said that to his face. Um, I, I remember, I remember uh, watching him like as a kid and being like, God, he must have a, a, a famous dad or something, <laughs> which I didn't even know about Jerry at the time.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Um. Yeah, he definitely had his ups and downs. Definitely had his ups and downs.
1: Um I think and I will say I I, I can look back and admit he was he's a really talented wrestler. I think he just reminded me of too many uh people uh that I knew in Florida. <laughs> like he just looked like somebody that would uh stop whatever anyone was doing and make you what? all line dance to achy breaky heart.
0: What, what what era are we talking about here? Is like his, his debut in WWF, like the, the like Double J
1: era? Yeah. Well, I know we're gonna, I know we're gonna, you know, to to jump ahead a sec. I know we're gonna be talking about NWO a little bit. Yeah. I stopped watching wrestling from 1995 until the fall of 2001, so I missed the entire Attitude Era. Wow. How do you even
0: understand what wrestling is like when you're when you don't watch the? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, let's just get to it. When you're watching WWE, okay. the WWE Network, and every show that they produce, it's not wrestling content, it's about the Attitude Era, are you just like, is it just like like a Westworld, like I don't I'm sorry, I don't see anything sort of moment? Like like you're just like, is it all is it just like a like a pixelated blank screen to you, or do you have some dim awareness that this was some epic period that you were just not privy to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel like look, you go back and uh I don't think a lot of that stuff was that great probably when you were watching it, but a lot of it doesn't hold up. I mean, definitely anything with a woman. Oh, uh, <laughs> I mean, China's kind of cool, but like uh, a lot of the Sable stuff, the y- yikes, um, uh, you know, Sherry Lawler just being openly homophobic. Like there's a lot of problematic stuff back then, but then it's also like you, you're seeing, you know, because, you know, when I, I, so I was 89 to 95, I was Ultimate Warrior, I was Earthquake, I love for some reason, you Jake Roberts, Savage, and then, um you know, and I would always, like, put on glimpses of it, like, because I was a big Razor Ramon and Diesel fan, so I remember, like, being at a friend's house, and they're watching WCW, and, and in my head, I'm like, they were Razor and Diesel and now they're Scott and Kevin. That's lame. <laughs> Those aren't cool names. Scott and Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> um I didn't fully get it. I, I can I can go back and watch some of it and appreciate it. I mean, in terms of like WWF attitude era, like the roster is unbelievable. Like they have so many talented guys. Uh but you know, there's so many, like way too many DQ finishes and schmazzes. and it's the beginning of the authority figure, which we never stopped. Like that's the thing. Even though I didn't grow up with the Attitude Era, I've watched the product try to replicate it for years since. Speaking of
0: replicating product, Jim, you got to work on some great, like some music drop for this segment, whatever it's going to be called. We'll we'll we'll, we'll take we'll take listener we'll take listener Twitter suggestions about what we should call the our throwback segment. Right now, well, history has been made as the leader in the clubhouse. But let's talk about it. That you want to talk about the NWO. There is nothing that makes me happier than an excuse to go back and start watching NWO highlights. Um, you know, everybody listening to this knows what the NWO is. Everybody's probably seen every documentary on the WWE Network. Everybody knows the NWO, and every I think the first thing everybody knows is this is it's a gimmick that that uh, Eric Bischoff borrowed uh, from Japan. I just want to open this thing up because I saw this mentioned like forty-five times when I was just like, like, like clicking around the internet, and I and it's what we always think, like everything in professional wrestling is stolen, and the fact that when we turn on a pay-per-view now or Monday Night Raw or AEW and don't immediately say they ripped that off from you know WWE programming three years ago, is a great testament to what storytelling's become. But like, it's not some weird. It's not some weird coincidence and confluence of events that, like, Ric Flair was a nature... Had the same gimmick as all these other nature boys that came before him. It was not... It's not. It wasn't, like... People weren't... Create, like, just... I I think the first thing that pops into everybody's mind is how when the Road Warriors kind of got... Came to WWF, there were all these other Road Warriors teams around, right? There was demolition. There was uh, the powers of pain, whatever. It's like, this happened so many times. Like, Dusty Rhodes, who we talked about earlier, I mean... I know stealing from yourself is different from... It's not exactly plagiarism. It's self-plagiarism or whatever you want to call it. But he was running... He was running gimmicks in the in NWA, in like the peak of Crockett NWA, that he'd run like three years prior in Florida. Like the exact same angles. And all of that is to say, if you want to steal something in professional wrestling and make it your own, just fucking go and do it. And if you do it as well as Eric Bischoff did the NWO, uh, then there should be no complaints about it. Sorry. That was a long digression. Why don't you tell me what you're what watching the NWO? Is this the first time you've really like sat down and watched the NWO from start, like watch its formation and everything?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and to add to your point, you know, my, my two favorite things in the world are are wrestling and comic books. And I probably like comic books even a little bit more than wrestling. And what's fascinating about both these, you know, art forms is that, there is no illusion that they only exist to make money. Like, you know, there are independent films that are way more artsy fartsy than like consumer driven, but everything in wrestling and comic books, like, uh, for years, I mean, you know, there's obviously indie comics and, you know, stuff like that. But like so much of like the mainstream stuff is so shameless where it's like, you know what? People love death wish. Here's the punisher. Oh, you like evil Knievel. Mm -hmm. Here's Ghost Rider. You know? <laughs> like, oh, Shaft is cool and Blackula. Here's Blade. Like, it's the most obvious, like, you know, reflection of the times kind of thing in in both cases. Like, it literally, some hillbilly saw Mad Max and was like, "Put shoulder blades on those titty bar Minnesota bouncers and let's make some money." Exactly. Uh, you
0: know? Yeah, I know that. That's exactly right. And what and what gives something real? I mean. It's sort of like a Darwinian situation where like the best case scenario is that you outlive the reference, right? That if you're, if your yeah. gimmick or your comic book character, if you're, if, if people know Blade or people know, you know, Ghostwriter after like Evil Knievel has faded from the imagination, um, then Marvel Comics is one, right? I mean, and, that, and that's, and that's fine because they created something with more staying power.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's like when people like make fun of like image comics and all of that, um, and and I find this to be analogous to the Attitude Era. You know, the 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 response is, well, it sold a lot, you know, and so whenever you criticize the Attitude Era or the NWO, it's like, yeah, but it put asses in seats, and so I, I think you know, I I knew a lot because I do listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts and all of that, so I knew a lot of the the pieces what i hadn't seen was the reaction to them and the progression in in some kind of sequential order because uh because what i've been doing is and and i recommend this for any wrestling fans right now we can't all hang out together but watch wrestling with a buddy over zoom it's a lot of fun (laughs) i've been doing it with my friend john hastings who co-hosts a podcast called the wrestler review which is great and every night, uh, we, watch, we watch wrestling, and he's a big NWO guy because he's from Canada, and so he grew up with WCW a lot more. And so I'm watching it with his context, and, and it's awesome. And, uh, you know, the Scott Hall introduction is fantastic. Oh, yeah. The Kevin Nash uh, reveal is amazing. The, the Hogan turn is a work of art like it starts off it is the best beginning of an angle in pro wrestling
0: yeah so just to run through it's really quickly everything
1: after that that is insane <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah so w- when scott hall first comes out he comes through the crowd he's wearing his denim vest and jeans yeah he he makes his debut during a match um between who was the other guy? One of them was mean. My was it was Mike Enos, uh, who was yeah, going Dahl, by the
1: Bobby Dahl, or something. Yeah, Bo- yeah
0: Steve Dahl, Steve Doll,
1: so, Steve Doll. So, Dahl, I'm sorry. Bobby
0: Doll was the basis for Poison. The, the, I'll give you points for trying there, but the but um yeah. Mike Enos, who was also r- a relatively recent cast off from WWF, who had been one of the Beverly Brothers, which is just Mike Enos is just a- he could have he could he really could have been something, man um
1: was he in the minnesota wrecking crew in awa yes, he was in the he, was he in the team challenge series baby? yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> he was he was one of the guys with the with the hammer that he was like pounding on the invisible or the green screen brick wall um yeah but uh so i always think it's funny i mean everybody it, and when, when they start doing the math about who like who's going to be in the nwo at the beginning it has to be like a wwf cast off blah 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 but it's like 90% of the roster spend time in the WWF, you know, and it's, and, and, and actually in wrestling history, if you go back, it's more surprising that we are in an era then where they kind of pretended that the guy wasn't the same guy who you saw on another show the week before. Right? Like, and, and, and that, a lot of that is Vince McMahon. A lot of that is actually like copyright issues that WCW, the, the NWA, I think started or WCW started, um, when they were trying to, you know, have some, uh, like exercise some IP muscle. But it is really weird that the expectation would be that, like, Mike Ennis would go to WWF and, they would, and he'd be like, well, we'll just call you Blake Beverly or Bo Beverly or whatever the hell it was. Now. You know, it's just, that was the weird thing. So it's actually a little bit of a return to normalcy when you have, this, when you have Scott Hall come through the crowd. What's weird is that he's not trying to be a wrestler, right? That he comes through and he's just sort of like, yeah, I'm actually not, I'm not coming down the ramp and moreover, moreover, I'm not even doing a run-in. I'm not like trying to hit anybody. I'm just here, and I'm gonna cut a promo, and then I'm gonna leave. Then Kevin Nash showed up in all his fanny pack glory. He's Kevin Nash is just Kevin Nash. I mean, he's really, really great. These two guys together are amazing.
1: And Kevin Nash's personality is always guy who just had <laughs> sex.
0: <laughs> yes, that could not be that could not be more true. When you, when you go back, well, and then of course the next thing that happens, the bash of the beach. They're putting the licks in the Savage. Hogan comes in for the save, and then Hogan leg drops Savage and joins NWO, one of the greatest moments in WCW or in wrestling history. I recommend that everybody go back and watch that like five times a year just to like hear what a absolutely livid crowd in the modern era or relatively modern era could sound like. Yeah, people are throwing garbage. People are throwing trash. Uh, Hogan's cutting. Well, one of the really interesting things to me about the beginning of the NWO, and this probably is what makes it work to some extent, is that. Nash and Hall are really trying hard to not be heels. Despite the fact they're doing heel stuff, if you put them on the mic, Nash is joking around. Uh he's got that, you're right. He's like he's he's smoking his post-sex cigarette. Scott Hall is Scott yeah. Hall is just Scott Hall. Um Kevin Nash is trying really hard to like become the Kevin Nash he always wanted to be. Meanwhile, Hogan is like working like a heel out of like 1950s Chicago. You know, I mean, he's just yeah. <laughs> He gets on the microphone. He's just like, the first thing you need to do is tell these people to shut up. You know, you're just like, Oh my God, here we are. It's like the most, the most,
1: it's the most, uh, like, Oh, he's always a sentence away from calling out the out of shape. Sweat. He is. is. It's like the most (laughs) like
0: pro like forward looking moment in professional wrestling. It changed. Like everything is new and fresh at this moment. Hogan's monologues are as old school as they come. Um,
1: Listen up, you pencil nut geeks! Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: he tells everybody. He tells all the fans they can shove it, which is one of the great things. And then like repeats that in, in future promos too. Like that's sort of like a he was like workshopping that as a catchphrase, I think. Um, <laughs> and and yeah, so he's there like like cutting this t- this incredible heel promo. Trash is getting thrown. Hall and Nash are flexing, sort of ironically behind him. Um, yeah. And then yeah, and then after that, like Hogan puts on the black. Uh, he, he, he becomes Hollywood and it just sort of takes over. I I mean, to me, one of the things that makes it most effective is that like mean gene just asks random people in interviews about other things, what they think about Hulk Hogan. Like I get like, I guess to some, to some people it's a little bit, it's too much, but like if you were a reporter and you had hacksaw Jim Duggan, in for like a 2 minute interview you would want to get 30 seconds on his take on what Hulk Hogan just did right i mean it's it makes it it all seems so real and maybe by accident but the whole thing just felt so vital and real what 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 was your take
1: well my big take was that yeah it was it was such a genius combo the three of them but then but then what really surprised me was That you know, as we're mainly like watching the pay-per-views, we're we're not watching like the weekly nitros, and um and we're mainly watching the main events. I so I'll be like point blank. We're not watching the whole shows, like we watch like an hour a night kind of thing. Um, we did all the World War Mm Threes just because, like, I'm a big Royal Rumble fan, and I love that like someone stole it and didn't understand why it worked. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) and um. No, but what's interesting is so we're watching World War Three 96, and already, um, you know, and that's setting up Piper versus Hogan at Starcade 96. And here's so here's what I didn't understand and and was like fascinating to me, was was the narrative in my mind was that the NWO was these three guys for a good long while. But already you have Mouthpiece Ted DiBiase who doesn't talk. Mm -hmm. You have Eric Bischoff. You have hostage situation Elizabeth who looks so sad. Mm -hmm. Uh, My God, if 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 you can, anyone listening to this, Google her uh, tops NWO trading card. She looks so depressed. (laughs) She never smiles like you know heels like you look at like Sherry. In that classic 89 uh no holds barred SummerSlam promo, and she's like gleeful. You know, like villains are often gleeful. She just looks like she wants to be anywhere else. Um, you know, you have, yeah, did I say, did I say uh Vincent no, Virgil? You did not mention Nina? Virgil. The 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 adult African American that companies use to spite each other. The the living chess piece yeah. himself, yeah. Soul Train Jones. <laughs> um, and 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 so it's already, and I think the giant was already there. It's it's already so bloated so fast. And to, to go back to, you know, looking at things through a narrative perspective, it didn't make any sense to me because okay, you have these two relevant wwf guys and now they're there and then they get the biggest one of all time but now they have dibiase and elizabeth it it just it already to me fell off the rails and i know that bischoff was a commentator there for years and now he's suddenly like he's doing the most talking even more than hogan it just didn't make sense and i was completely surprised how quickly it was like Jump the shark territory. Yeah, it
0: happened it happened really really fast. I mean, part of the, what yeah. part of the problem with or one, I think maybe the the biggest problem with the NWO goes to its greatest strength. It seemed like a really real thing, right? It had this feeling of reality. These were p- guys using their real names coming over and saying like, "Yeah, we're we're from up north," like acknowledging the backstory, the outs that, you know, the outside the ring backstage backstory. And People, I mean, they, and they did a really good job in the early days, making it seem like the WW, I mean, the WCW mainstays were like felt like they were fighting for their lives, right? I mean, it felt so real. But the problem is that made it really hard to have good matches, right? It wasn't a. It's like I, w- I want to say like it like it was a it was like a great philo- a great a great in theory, but it wasn't a like governing philosophy. Like it was really really good, it, for like half of it. And then it got in the ring, and like there was nothing that could happen in the match that was that like that that fulfilled all the potential of the promos, of the storytelling, of everything else. And you know, when Hogan won the, the championship for the first time, even that felt like, well, he's sort of he's like suddenly like a weasley heel, right? I mean, he's not even like a, he's not even a competent wrestler anymore. And I don't know, the whole thing just felt like. It's not like they they could not they could never put on a match and there's a lot of reasons why besides just the storytelling but they could never have the matches for the most part seem as monumental or significant as the as the non match storytelling and so they ended up having to lean on every episode was just a reveal of who the next person was going to be and what surprise they could pull out and uh, and yeah it did go off the rails really quickly I didn't mind I didn't mind the Bischoff part
1: I just don't get it in terms of what the narrative is. Like, if it's these former invading guys, why is this goober there?
0: You're right. I guess I don't mind because I thought he was effective. And they could, but, but they, you're right. If anything, Mean Gene should have been the one. <laughs> that would have been fantastic. Um, mean Gene, it's give also, him some, like.
1: You know, what's interesting is that, like, I mean, all it's just the booking, like, and I know, like, the undercards are, like, all great. And I've watched a couple of those, like, Amazing cruiserweight matches, but yeah, when he wrestles Piper and then Piper wins, but Piper didn't realize it wasn't for the title. It's like you can only do that so many times to your fan. Yeah.
0: Well, that's totally true. I mean, him wrestling Piper in the first place just seemed like, like, we're, like we're, our bag of tricks is already empty. I mean, it's like that's that was what that's the kind of match they would have had. They should have had before. That the whole NWO thing happened, right? I mean, that's old school WWF. That seems like that's
1: to be put aside, but um, or towards the end of the 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 thing, well, like he's he's the last salvation, not the first. Yes,
0: and that, that that's exactly right because it seemed like a lot. They, there was a lot of really cool storytelling that they just sort of blew through in the first few. I mean, I, my my timeline's all blurry, but just the first couple of months of the NWO when they were like like they're like they, like on a like in a given week they they would run through i mean they, like there was one part where like the WCW stalwarts came and like beat up um uh brutus beefcake whatever his name was then the booty man or whatever and yeah, and yeah. they beat him up because they just assumed you're hogan's friend right and there's was, there's was another thing i think where they they they, they where Sting and and somebody else, probably Lex Luger, like go after the nasty boys because they're or yell at the nasty boys because they're like, are you with us are you against us? We know Brian Nobbs, you're one of Hogan's friends in real life, um, and and that to me, I mean that could that should have been teased out over weeks and weeks and weeks like that. Whether or not you know, big big Bubba Rogers is a potential NWO member didn't I mean it that it, they 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 raised the question, and answered it in two seconds, right, um, and. that kind of stuff was really interesting based on the story that they were telling. Um, and, but they did, they kind of like whiffed right by all that stuff so that they could get to Piper. Um, and, and the, you know, I mean, and, and as they grew, as they expanded the NWO, it just immediately started losing steam because there's nowhere to really go from there.
1: Well, it's also to go back to where I started, you know, telling you like my, my gap years in wrestling is that like, those years that i missed you know late 95 to uh, most of 2001 were the most hot shotted years so even though i chronologically missed about six years i really missed like 20 years like (laughs) oh yeah i missed you know like tenta being an avalanche and then a shark and then a golga like all the different like and boss man being the guardian angel and then big bubba and then working for the corporation and you know and also what didn't help was i was bullied by kids in nwo with 316 shirts does that (laughs) get me out (laughs) but the the biggest here's the biggest thing that i could say as someone watching this stuff for the first time is that i was not prepared for how much you hear that goddamn song. Holy crap. It, it, it permeates through the whole thing. And it, it's, a, it's a good theme song, but my God, does it get old fast? And it, there's a cheapness to it when they add in all the sound effects, like the guy going, new world order. And then for life.
0: Oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean
1: it's the worst post effects and and it's on such a short loop so you're any segment you're watching you're just hearing duh, 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 new world order like 20 times yeah <laughs>
0: the the sound overall could leaves a lot to be desired in that era of WCW they're they're kind of figuring some stuff out on the fly there um but you're right i mean they they're sort of just um it's they are just kind of pushing buttons it's i mean it's very the n w o heat started off so real and became cheap heat, you know in in a in a pretty short span of time um it's weird too i mean they needed they needed workers more than anything when they were expanding the n w o if they were gonna you know if they were gonna grow it um and it and you're right instead they got like the giant who you know is not a i mean can wrestle every Monday but is not exactly a workhorse and and then they got Miss Elizabeth and Virgil and and uh Ted DiBiase and and Eric Bischoff like all these non-workers you know in there and then when they started actually getting workers it was just you know it was over you know i mean at that point it was it it, it, it they'd lost the thread
1: and ultimately you need goals like you need to have a beginning middle and end of your story yeah. because the thing but but the problem is as, as you know we talked like wrestling is 100% just made to sell tickets and get ratings, and so once the, sh- the what's fascinating yeah when you're watching chronologically they go from people throwing garbage in the ring to the majority of people in the audience having nwo shirts and signs yeah. even though they're buying a wcw ticket yeah exactly <laughs> and so they have to just and then they do the wolf pack and the i know we're we're having to like rush through all this like you know the 97 sting angle where that felt like the last time where the fans really were like WCW. And then he kind of looks like a chump in that match. And people are like, I'm just going to like what I like. Who cares? Yeah. There's nothing to invest in that much anymore. I mean, I know Goldberg has a bit of a hot streak, but it's like, you know, it goes back to the first, line you know who I am but you don't know why I'm here and then uh, the company closes five years later and we never find out
0: <laughs> uh, he was there like, he, what was their goal he was there to make money man to drag it out as long yeah. as possible yeah <laughs> um, yeah I, th- I think it's, that's great I mean you're, that's exactly right You I mean you said wrestling the whole point of wrestling is selling tickets but in th- but it became the point of wrestling became selling t-shirts right and once you're, I mean, and once your, once the NWO T-shirt is like the most over thing in the company, then it really you have to change, you have to totally change course for the way you're booking the show and everything else. I mean, it's just,
1: and it's also it's like watching those like, those World War Threes are fascinating because it's you know they're sixty man matches, so you're basically looking at the whole roster, and you know they they just have them all walk out one after the other like Dead Man Walking style. And so like, and then the NWO comes out by themselves and they do look cooler because they're like this cohesive unit. Whereas the rest of uh, WCW is a hodgepodge of, you know, left like guys that have been there forever, like Bobby Eden, um, ex WWF guys like, like Tenta and, and, and Rogers and, and Duggan who never changes his gimmick. Mm. <laughs> I... <laughs> You know, I, I think I know he does like towards the end, like Canada or whatever. Uh, and then, and then you know, all the luchadors and the cruiserweights and everything—it's such like a bizarre pastiche of a roster that the NWO comes off way cooler.
0: Yeah. Well, if coolness could ever be, um, you know, the thing that like ruined a uh, faction, ruined a gimmick—I mean, this was the time. Um, but yeah. That doesn't mean, but like at the beginning. The the that that those first few moments. And for at some time and for some time that followed. I mean, this was it was the coolest thing that ever happened. It was just like there's nothing that will ever be bigger than Hogan dropping that leg on on Randy Savage and and just everybody realizing what could happen. I mean, the possibilities at that point were endless, you know? And by the way, one thing in closing, and I'll let you get your parting shot in here too. But the thing I couldn't, when I was going back over the history, the thing that I kept kind of, that struck me, I think for the first time was that you'd heard all these stories before that like Hogan almost said no, right? That Hogan, Hogan, Hogan wasn't sure he was going to be, people were trying to talk Hogan out of of, of being the third man. I kept thinking of that lie that Hogan loves to tell about how he got, he got offered the George Foreman grill first. And he said, and his manager said, do you want to do the grill or do you want to do the, the, uh, the the blender to make smoothies and uh, and he picked the, they picked the blender and and he, but the, the point being he could have he could have been the the, the George Foreman grill guy and could have been you know a billionaire and and an icon in that field and everything else. Um, and Hogan, I mean, there, we 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 are very close to a world where Hogan is so much less significant now than than he is, and he just sits around telling stories about how he could have been the third man, in the NWO all along, but. Not only would that have been, and, I mean, it, it, sure, certainly if like Sting were the third man, that would have been pretty epic, even though it wouldn't have made as much sense in the way that we remember it. But it would have been less than Hogan. We can all agree on that. But I, it had just occurred to me for the first time that not only would it have been a lesser gimmick without Hogan in that role, but it would have been a billion times worse a storyline because they would have been fighting against Hulk Hogan. I mean, imagine, yeah. imagine if the NWO had Sting in the Hogan role, but for the first six months, all they're doing is going against the red and the yellow. Like that would have been insufferable.
1: And that he's going from the Dungeon of Doom to exactly. the NWO. Exactly, they would have just
0: been like the, the Dungeon of Doom in, in denim vests.
1: <laughs> without a without a Bostonian Satanist in charge, <laughs> but yes,
0: yeah. the Bostonian Satanist was booking behind the scenes. Um, yeah uh kevin sullivan one of the 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 true geniuses of 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 pro wrestling um yeah he's awesome uh anyway we got to get out of here what's your what's your part what's your what, what, what are your your do you have any closing thoughts on the nwo before we before we take off
1: yeah it's that um you know uh the glory moments in wrestling in our minds uh will always be there and uh you know cm punk money in the bank 2011 uh this uh the nwo the hogan turn and then god they fall apart quickly (laughs) so you know uh hold on to 16 as long as you can uh (laughs) appreciate appreciate when the stuff is great uh because it isn't always and um and my my closing shot is i you know one of the main reasons i wanted to watch nwo was because in my mind uh the inner circle is the most entertaining faction i've seen in my lifetime And a lot of people were like, yeah, but the NWO and, uh, you know, the inner circle has been around since October. I think everyone in that faction has a great role. They all shine. They all do cool stuff. You know, who each of them are and they all work in singles, uh, positions as well. They are still my favorite faction. Wow. All
0: right. Well, uh, the inner circle, um, is the official winner of the week. Then I guess, um, Mike, thank you so much for coming on. What do you want to plug on the way out?
1: Nothing. I'm, Oh, I, uh, wrote on the, uh, Amazon show upload. Oh really? So, uh, I was one of the writers on that and it is, uh, streaming on Amazon. So you can check it out. Awesome.
0: Uh, everyone should do that right away. Uh, thank you for doing this, Jim. Thank you for sitting there and not saying anything this week. I'm, I'm sure everyone's going to miss you. Uh, we'll be back as soon as possible. Apologies, as always, to Johnny Moxley. We'll see you back here next week.
1: We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show.